Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Spooksters, and welcome back to another Stabby Snippet. This is your ghoul friend, Jessica. And as always, I am joined by the fabulous Tara. Hey, Spooksters. And tonight, Stabby, I am going to talk about a cold case that I watched on a Netflix show, which kind of creeped me out a little bit because it happened like three miles from my old apartment. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't like living there at the time, but still. (laughs) Yeah. Oof. Right. So before we do that, I just want to make a quick little announcement. So today, in real time, this is September 30th. But when you're listening to this, this is October 10th. So Tara and I are actually physically together at this point. Yay! We are somewhere in Atlanta while you're listening. We are doing something right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Who knows what that is? Mm -hmm. But so just so that you know, because we're not, we're together, we're not going to be recording because we just want to be able to spend some time and hang out with one another. So over the next couple of weeks, instead of a stabby, you're going to get a completely different type of episode. Mm-hmm. We're going to be doing two of our $10 patrons because if you're a $10 patron, you get to pick an episode that we will do. Mm-hmm. And the first one is going to be Jessica and then it's going to be Caitlin. So you guys should hang in there because they're going to be really great and exciting. Mm-hmm. So there won't be a stabby for a couple of weeks, but we're still going to bring you some stuffs. Yes, there will still be two episodes a week. Those will just take place instead of stabbies. Mm -hmm. In our time, we're doing a bunch of recording early and I'm editing like a mad woman. So we have everything (laughs) preloaded while we are traveling. (laughs) Right. And, you know, in all fairness to Tara, like we wanted to make sure that she didn't die before she came to visit me. So (laughs) I was like, yeah, let's just let's just, you know, (laughs) let's love Tara more than stabbies. (laughs) But they'll be back. Right. But right after we get back and everything is settled, we're going to be right back to our old regime mm-hmm. of things. And you're going to get your stabbies on Thursdays. So I think that's all, right? Yep, that's it. So let's do this. So I have dubbed this case the case of too many good suspects. Ooh. Because this is one of those cases where it was like every single lead they looked at, they were like, yep, this person's the killer. And then they were like, just kidding. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It took about 27 years to solve and 30 years t- for justice to be brought forth. Damn. On April 5th, 1984, before I was born, Tina Falls left her school of Foothill High School in Pleasanton, California, and started walking home. The last time she was seen alive was 2.45 p.m. And at 3.25 p.m., Her body was found. So like a very, very short window of time. Like I said, she attended Foothill High School in Pleasanton, California, which is about 3.3 miles from my old apartment. Yeah, the one you stayed at, Tara. Oh, damn. (laughs) 
she had been walking home from school because she used to take the bus, but she was being bullied. Due to her being bullied, she didn't feel confident to get on the bus and be harassed. So she was just walking home each day. Mm. The school administration said that, you know, the way that Tina was going is probably not the best. She would walk down Lemonwood Way, which is right behind the high school, and go down into a culvert area and then cross. And (laughs) this is the part where you're like, what? She would walk under the freeway through a big drainage pipe. (gasps) Ew. Like huge. Like they're like massive. They're probably like 20 feet expansion size, Mm -hmm. which now they're closed, by the way. But she would walk that way and come out on the other side to, I believe it's called Alster's Court, and then she would walk home. Now, if you're not familiar with Pleasanton, California, let me tell you, I loved when I lived there. It was like the safest place. In 2016, when I lived there, in seven, you know, that time, crime was like, meh. In that and then a neighboring town that entire year, they only had 121 car thefts, which I hear like that might seem like a lot. But we're talking like hundreds of thousands of people in the Bay Area. In fact, I know this personally because my car was stolen. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) My car was stolen and the police in Pleasanton, California got it back within 11 hours. Crazy. It was insane. Like I told Tara, like my car got stolen and she's like, oh, my God, like went into like, you're gonna have to buy a new car, you have to get insurance, blah, 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 like all these things. Like I had insurance. I mean, like I had to contact the insurance company. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, within 11 hours, they got my car back because this this community is very safe. So the police, they don't have a lot of crimes to investigate. (laughs) Right. They were very excited because there was a case to do. So it has just been known. I mean, literally, it is a pleasant town to live in. It has the quaint farmer's market every Saturday. The months of like May through September, they have these things called it's the first Wednesday night. And it's a basically like a farmer's market on steroids where like you send your 12 year old downtown with just friends to hang out. My husband and I were constantly like, where the frick are these kids parents? Right. People were like, no, it's a safe area still today. Crazy. So it probably wasn't a huge concern of her mother that she was walking home by herself because of the safe neighborhood or area that she lived in. Mm hmm. Tina had been bullied, and so obviously she wasn't like Miss Popular. And there's two main, there's two high schools in Pleasanton. There is Foothill High School, and there is Amador Valley. Amador Valley is like the super nice high school Mm -hmm. that has like beautiful grounds, and Foothill is like the normal high school everyone goes to. But these are great schools. Like living in an area like Pleasanton, you could send your kids to public school and get basically a private school education for them. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're okay. Like, let's put it this way. Steve Madden, like the football guy, Steve Madden lives in Pleasanton. There you go. Mm -hmm. He gives out full size candy bars on Halloween. Oh, yeah. If anyone's in Pleasanton listening to this pro tip, (laughs) (laughs) they already know (laughs) you have to drive through. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he shopped at my Safeway. We almost was like, hey, it's Steve Madden. But anyway, um, <laughs> I digress. So back to Tina. April 5th of 1984, Tina's walking home. Obviously, she doesn't make it. Her younger brother gets home from school and he's like, where's my sister? She's always here. He decides to go ride his bike. And about this time, an undercover cop car pulls up in their driveway and he just knows that there's something wrong. At this point, The officer tells his mom, Shirley, that Tina has been murdered. Mind you, Tina's a freshman and she's 14 years old. 
So, like I said, she was found at 325 by some students and by a truck driver. The way the where the body was was in a culvert um, along the freeway as you're driving on this freeway. And I used to drive by it like this area like every day to go to work. You can see straight down into it. So the truck driver saw someone that looked like they were in distress and got out and went down. And that's when he saw the body and he called 911 and the police came. The scene was very disheveled. Her books were everywhere. And a really weird thing that they saw was that her purse was in a tree. Mm. So like it looked like someone or her or something had thrown her purse into this tree and it was stuck. I don't think this is like the Angela Johnson throw your purse in a tree moment. If anyone gets that reference, thumbs up to you. So it had police stumped. So when they discovered her body, they discovered that she had been stabbed 44 times. <gasps> We're talking like brutal rage. The autopsy revealed that she had been alive 38 of those stabs. Oh, poor girl. Right. This poor little sweetheart was like she was fighting. Mm-hmm. She was brutally. And some of the some of the stab wounds were five to six inches deep. So this led the police to believe that the knife didn't have a hilt on it, like how a lot of hunting knives will have the hilt in the middle so that your hand doesn't slide down onto the blade. They're thinking that it didn't. So they were kind of hoping that maybe this would be an easy tell because if you were stabbing someone that many times, they're assuming that when they the killer would stab that their hand would get cut. So they immediately start looking around and they look at this Jeff Michelson guy who, by the way, is kind of a pervy jerk. He's been known to walk up to girls in the hallway and like press himself up against them or touch them inappropriately. Gross. And he's also a douche because he throws people in trash cans and he carries. He often is seen carrying a knife. Mm. Right. So they're like, oh, this makes sense. Well, they basically start interviewing him and Jeff has this cut on his hand. And they're like, hmm, has a cut on his hand. This could totally be the guy. And so the first, he tells like two different stories. The story he tells is like, first, he cut it on a pan. And then I can't rem- I think the other one was something stupid, like he cut it on a fence. I don't remember. It was really stupid. But they were like, wait a minute, your two stories don't match. But Jeff ended up having an alibi and was not near where she was. Mm. <laughs> this is why I say you're going to be like, wait, another another suspect. So then, (laughs) right, mind you that Carlson has now said that he saw Jeff Michelson follow her in and he is accompanied by Todd Smith. And Todd Smith is interviewed and Todd says, yeah, I saw Tina the day she was killed. Just remember Todd later. So the next suspect that's looked into is Keith Fitzwater. Keith Fitzwater is Shirley, who's Tina's mom. It's her boyfriend. And Tina's boyfriend, Keith, is 15 years younger than her. So he's in like his early 20s and Tina's the older sibling and she's 14. They said that there was a lot of drama. So Keith gets the call that Tina's been killed and he asks his boss to bring him home Mm -hmm. or bring him over to the house to like, you know, be there. And he does something a little suspicious. He hands his boss the knife that's on his belt. Hmm. Right. And he goes, hey, can you keep this for me? And the boss is like, why? And he's like, well, because Tina's been stabbed and I don't want to bring that into the house. Okay. (laughs) Right? You're like, oh. So the boss then tells the police this. And the police then take the knife and, of course, test the knife, which they had done with Jeff Michelson as well. And there was no blood. There was 
Both of these knives were absolutely clean, void of blood, never had touched human flesh. Okay. So it's like weird. So there's like all these weird things that keep happening. So they described that Keith had had some issues with Tina in the home because Tina would like, you know, Tina was a 14 year old girl and her her mom was dating a guy who's probably like, what, maybe 10 years older than her. Right. At most. Right. So essentially what is happening is she's like, you know, they throw a fit and he actually had to move out because of this drama. Mm. So he's not living at home. And then they're like, okay. so they start thinking of like, who else could these people be? Like, who else could be this killer? And they, you know, they start looking. And one of the things they look at is they look at a guy and his last name is Diamond. And he happened to be living in Pleasanton at the time of her killing. But a few months later was living in like the Fullerton area. and. Essentially, he is then accused of hanging out under an, uh, like an underpass and trying to rape a girl, a young girl. Like she, he was on a bridge. He saw her, went under the underpass and tried to rape her. Ooh. So they're like, oh, and he lived in Pleasanton. How convenient. And so they contact his grandmother and his grandmother's like, yeah, he came home that day really frantic. I remember because I remember he was like crazy and he had like all of this like he was dirty. And so they take his clothes and they find blood on it and they find blood on the knife. But come to find out, it's not human blood. Again, they're like, holy crap, there's a lead. We're so excited. Like this, I could, I would not have been able to be this police force because I would have been like, something's got a freaking stick. <laughs> right. It's just person after person is like, nope, just kidding. It's not even like these suspects where it's like, oh, no, like that's not even plausible. It's like everything is plausible. Like. You know, the kid has a cut on his hand. The boyfriend gives the knife away. This guy was like in the area acting shady. M.O. is to like harm little girls. So time keeps going on. They had like, let's put it this way. In 2008, they had 20,000 pages on this case Mm. and this case file. 20,000 because people were just calling like tips. Wow. I think this became the point, and I'm going to say this because I'm from Pleasanton, so I will at us at Pleasanton because I get it. People were probably like, mm-mm, you see Bill down the street, he's acting shady. I bet he killed that girl. Mm-hmm, he'd been acting real shady for a few months. <laughs> like, I swear to God, this is the people, but except for they would be like, did you see Bill? He's been acting quite odd. <laughs> very, people in Pleasanton are very uppity, and I can say that because I used to live there. <laughs> So some time goes by and Shirley is like essentially spiraling from like the moment her daughter died. She's like lost it all. Like Tina's little brother basically is raising himself. Mm. And like as soon as he's 18, he has to put his mom in an institution. He basically survived by like, I will become an adult where I can be on my own and then you will go away (laughs) type situation. But she got better. But during this time in the in-between, she was reading the newspaper and she found out because It was probably the East Area Times or something like that. Or the East Bay, not East Area. East Bay Times. And they probably read, she read about this guy up in Washington. So this guy up in Washington has this MO of killing and sexually assaulting young girls. I want to say it because I've said this a couple times. Tina wasn't sexually assaulted, but we all know the how things escalate. (laughs) Like, obviously, murder (laughs) is more, but, you know, Mm -hmm. it could also be that it was broad daylight next to the very active 680 at rush hour. So. Right. Who knows? Yeah. So they were like, this guy lived in Pleasanton at the time. Oh, my God. It was the same time Tina was killed. So they start following it up. And Shirley is like, oh, my God, I think we know him. And she goes digging through all of these photos and she finds this picture of this guy. And he looked. It's him. He's he was at a barbecue with us. He was talking to Tina. 
you know, and they're like, oh, my God, this is the guy. And then so they fly to Washington and it's not the guy. Oh, my God. Uh, what? Right. So that's probably like we're looking at like the mid 90s or like not mid 90s, like late 80s, early 90s when that happened. So then the case just goes cold because there's just no one else. Well, in February of 2008, Detective Dana Savage of the Pleasanton Police Department got pregnant and she was no longer allowed to like, you know, interface with suspects. Yeah. Because they don't allow you to do that. when you're pregnant they're like no so she was pregnant with her second child his name is zach so we i just want to say right now thank you thank you zach for being in existence (laughs) because if you weren't in existence this probably wouldn't have gotten solved so she had all this time so she starts running down leads and the first thing she starts looking at is she starts looking at these different serial killers in the area and she really starts to figure out there's like there's three main serial killers that were kind of operating in the 80s out of the bay area and she was like do these work like essentially they didn't work, right? It was either they had alibis or they were in like incarcerated, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So she's like, what do I do? So she basically comes down and she narrows it down to these two guys. There was a James Demesio and a Walter Neiman or Nyman. And it came down. She was like, these, it has to be one of these two guys. So she's like, how do, how am I going to get evidence? Because it's like 27 years later. I have no evidence. How do I do this? She's reading back through the case file and she has this weird thought. Like, why the hell is the purse in the tree? So she becomes fixated on this purse. She, like, looks at the evidence and how they did that. And she realizes that all they've ever tested for on this purse are fingerprints. And she thinks back to the whole knife theory, which is that the killer would have had to cut their hand. And she's like, what if there's blood on the purse? So she pulls the purse out of evidence She's like, what do I do? So what does she do? She sends that purse straight to Quantico FBI. She's like, I'm not fucking around with any like local office. She sends that shit straight back to the lab. So Detective Savage has her baby. She's home on leave. She gets this call from Quantico. So she fucking answers the phone because wouldn't you if you were this detective? Mm -hmm. The detective's actual words to her was, do you want to know who killed Tina Fells? <gasps> and she's like, yes, because she's sitting there going, it is either James or it's Walter. It's James or Walter. Who the fuck is it? Right. And then the biggest curveball in her case got thrown at her. Quantico tells her on March 14th, 2011, the FBI tells Detective Savage, it's Steve Carlson. Well, who the fuck is that? <laughs> He's the kid who saw her walking down the street. And said that it was Jeff Michelson. <gasps> and said he was riding around in his car with his buddy Todd Smith. So they call Todd. They're like, so you were riding around with him? And he's like, I never said that. I said that I saw Tina, but I didn't say that I saw her with him. Mm. And they're like, oh. And come to find out, Steve Carlson has also been bullied. And he's been bullied by the douchebag Jeff Michelson who earlier that day had shoved him in a dumpster and locked it. You know, they put the little bar up so he couldn't get out. And he was in there for like 10 flipping minutes until a teacher broke him out. Mm. So you're saying, wait a second, how the fuck is it? How is it Steve Carlson? Mm -hmm. So four drops of blood were found on this purse. And they, they basically start. They're like, okay. So they have to now track down Steve Carlson, who conveniently... 
was locked up in the Santa Cruz jail for a drug-related charge. Basically, Steve's life took a huge fucking turn. He basically was into drugs. He had been arrested in the Sacramento area for sexually assaulting a young girl. They don't say how young. They don't say if she's a teenager. They just said a young lady or like young girl. Mm. So I'm like, oh, great. So he's incarcerated. So on June 26, 2011, the detectives head on down. And mind you, let me put it this way. One of the one of the people on this case literally has been on this case since it like he was on site picking up evidence. He, he was like 20 years old. He was on the force as like a sur- surveillance guy, which they, they mean like they would go out and look. They would like survey the area of the crime scene. So he was like rookie. And so now 27 years later, he's still on this case and he gets to go down there and they interview Steve Carlson in the Santa Cruz County Jail. They ask him and you can watch. I would I recommend watching Cold Case Files because it's a great show. But um, they interview him. Right. <laughs> They're like, yeah, so we're just kind of reopening this case and like we're re-interviewing people who were involved with this case of Tina Fails. And Steve gets violently ill and starts throwing up like right after they ask him. They're like, we're going to re-interview. You're being interviewed for this. And he just starts throwing up, which is really weird for a person to just violently start throwing up. Mm-hmm. So then they do this. They they have the DNA. They have the alibi that he had been using of Todd Smith is no longer viable. And I don't know if Todd Smith is actually this guy's name because, like, I thought about it. I was like, that's a very generic name. They probably changed it. So Steve is like, holy shit, I got to get the fuck out. So on August 7th, 2011, Steve is being released from the Santa Cruz County Jail because he's, he's done with his drug charges. And g- guess what happens as soon as he's trying to leave? They arrest his ass. Oops. Right. Now, he's then taken to the Santa Rita jail, which is probably about five to ten miles from my house when I lived in Pleasanton. It's like the Alameda County prison jail place. So he's taken there and then he's tried. And in 2014, he was convicted of second degree murder. The story is basically this. Steve gets locked in a dumpster. He's super pissed at the world because everyone is shitting on him. He goes home from school. He gets in his car. He's driving around and he sees Tina Fells, who glared at him. Could have been the sun, could have been anything, but gives him a dirty look. And he gets pissed. So he pulls over, gets out of his car, chases her down the culvert, and then stabs her to death 44 times. And then what he does is he takes her purse and puts it in a tree. And then he goes home. And he waits for the police to arrive. It is said that when the police were in the culvert trying to find the killer, evidence, anything, he is sitting on his roof watching it all happen. The mystery was solved why the purse was in the tree. Because he flagged it so that he could see what was happening. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So, he's a sick motherfucker. Yeah. In 2017, his appeals were denied. Good. Yeah. So I know that's not like a recent case, but it just like when I was watching cold cases, which I love cold cases, by the way, it's really (laughs) it's a great show. I was like working and listening to it. And it was like in Pleasanton, California. I was like, excuse me, (laughs) where? What did you say? (laughs) It's kind of like when we were doing the research for the Golden State Killer. And then like Mm -hmm. I found out like one of his victims, like two of his victims died down the street from my current residence. Yeah. I'm just like, why do I end up living so close to where murders happen? And here's the thing, like, I lived in Pleasanton for 
five-ish years, Mm -hmm. nobody ever said like, oh, yeah, there was a murder here. If you had told me there was a murder in Pleasanton, I'd have been like, (laughs) where? (laughs) Did somebody run over like a plant? Or is that what we like? Did a football game happen and the other team got murdered? Like, this is very like upper, upper middle class. Like, yeah, we were the poor people who lived in town. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that just goes to show you these kind of things can happen anywhere. Mm hmm. It's scary. It, and I think that's one of the probably one of the reasons why it took so long. And no offense to the Pleasanton Police Department. I think they're wonderful men and women. I think that they have kind hearts and they do a phenomenal job. But I think because it's a nice place to live, they don't necessarily get all of the cases that they need. Like, you're not going to be able to solve a murder if like one murder happens every 20 or 30 years. So that's all I have for today's stabby. Okie dokie. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. And um, if you live near a murdered site, let me know. I don't want to be the only person. <laughs> <laughs> so that wraps it up for us today. And as a reminder, the next two weeks, they're going to be a little different than Stabby's. But we hope you stick around and you listen because they're going to be fantastic. And then we will be back with Stabby's in... In a couple weeks here. Yeah. Yeah. We will talk to you later. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.